0: You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Boness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Look, There are people in this room, uh, and there's probably people listening online who are desperate for a breakthrough in their lives. Perhaps you're looking for a personal breakthrough. And that could be, you're looking for a breakthrough in your finances. Maybe it's your employment situation. Your pension, your savings, your provision. That you need a breakthrough there. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's your relationships. Maybe you need a breakthrough in your marriage. Maybe you you need a breakthrough with your kids with your grandkids or with your parents your colleagues. Maybe you need a breakthrough in your relationship with other people in the church (coughs) because Jesus said that it's love that's the hallmark of a disciple. So maybe you need a breakthrough there. Maybe you need a breakthrough in your devotional life. We've all Every one of us experienced what it is like to open the Bible and just feel like you're just reading and you're desperate and saying, God, please, Spirit of God, connect my heart to what I'm reading here. Help me to dig something out of that. You're desperate for a breakthrough in your prayer life where it feels like the ceiling is low and all your prayers are just bouncing back off again. Maybe you're looking for a breakthrough where you've made mistakes. And boy, I've made a few of those.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: In dealing with mistakes, can you stand up after a screw up? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In conquering sin. Mm-hmm. As a church, we're, we're desperate for breakthrough. Mm-hmm. We, we want to see a kingdom breakthrough. Mm-hmm. We want to see this fellowship grow. But we don't just want the breadth, we want the depth. Because if we grow big, then we've just got a massive celebrity church. And what good is that? We want to grow deep. I'm not saying there's something against growing wide. But that's surely the heart of every pastor. And if they say it's not a numbers game, yes it is. But it's not a numbers game so that I can go along to the next pastor and go... Yeah, I've got 10 more this week. What'd you get? You know, that's not the numbers game we're talking about. I don't want to exaggerate. I don't want to use hyperbole to say, you know, like when you go fishing and you caught a fish and you know it was that big, and actually you're like, yeah, I caught that size fish. You know, that's, uh, that's often an accusation of evangelists is that they elevate the numbers. But it is about the numbers because we want the people in this town who are lost to be saved. So it is about numbers. If we're not growing numerically, there's a problem because we're not growing deep. But the depth comes first. Has to. Has to. We're looking for a breakthrough of the Holy Spirit moving in our midst. And what that means is because he's already got permission. He doesn't need permission to come and move here. Pentecost, they were, they were praying and, and God showed up. Mm. They had no idea what was coming. And God showed up. So, what it looks like is this us grasping hold of the fact that the Spirit of the living God is alive and well in us. Yeah. And that with his presence and his life in our lives comes power. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that changes the shape of what this looks like, and it's happening. And I love it. I love hearing of pictures and words. I love hearing prophetic words coming up in the meetings on the Sunday mornings. So I love hearing people praying out in tongues. I love it when the tongues are then uh, loud and then they are. Uh, what's the word? attempted. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. But we're looking for a breakthrough in the town. And we're looking for a breakthrough in the world. Now how many times have you prayed and you've asked God for something that just hasn't happened? Or you haven't received? Is there anyone in this room that could honestly say that's never been true? How many times have you cried out for help with that habit? With that sin? With those circumstances? And yet heaven has seemed to be silent. How many expectations do you have of God or of his church that seem woefully slow, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: undernourished, incomplete, or lackluster? Mm -hmm. Let's be honest here, guys. Be honest with your heart right now. I'm not asking you to go up to the person next to you and say, yeah, sometimes I think God is woefully slow. I'm not asking that of you. But be honest with your own heart. Have you ever thought that? You need a breakthrough, and it just doesn't seem to be a plausible reality. Maybe it seems like it's too far gone, too far past it, too unlikely. You've, you've spent too long marking the days like a tally on the wall, waiting for God to move. When, Lord? When? John 11. And this will come up on the screen as well. And I'm going to read a big chunk, so bear with me. And by the way, this is the best bit because this is the word of God. So it's better than whatever I can have.
1: <coughs>
0: now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the, the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Interesting fact here, that hasn't happened yet in John's Gospel. Mm. That's chapter 12. So the sisters send word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved. Martha and her sister and Lazarus. That's a really important thing. Hold that right there. He loved them. So when he heard that Lazarus was th- sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to the, his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. That's towards <laughs> Lazarus. Um, but, Rabbi, they said, A short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're We're going back. And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they will see by this world's light. It's when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, Then he'll get better. And Jesus, of course, had been speaking about his death, but the disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there. So that you may believe, but let's go to him. And then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let's also go that we might die with him. I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher's here, she said, and asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up and quickly went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When Jesus, who had been with Mary in the house comforting her, noticed how quickly, sorry, when the Jews, who had been with Mary in the house comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. And when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord. Same question, uh, or same statement, if you had been here, My brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he, who opened the eyes of the blind, have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been in there four days. And then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they might believe, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out his hands and feet wrapped with <coughs> strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Amen. That's the word of the Lord. <laughs> Thanks, God. <brother>. Could the <coughs> circumstances of your life be a bit like the story of Lazarus? Has something been unwell In your experience. Have you asked and expected God to come through for you? To come and make a dramatic change. And yet he seems slow. Delayed. Distant. Maybe even unconcerned. Perhaps you're in a place like Martha. You've come up the road to meet him. You've actually made the steps. You've said, God, I need, I need to meet with you face to face. And you've come out and you've made those steps towards him. And whilst you, you think in your mind that he's too late, you know that he will still make it good in the long run. But eventually, it actually means that you resign yourself to hopelessness and despair. It's the kind of, I know that he will rise again, at the resurrection on the last day, you're kind of saying, yeah, okay, God, I know that I've got a bright future when I'm in heaven. You know, Maybe that's how you're feeling. You're desperate for Jesus. You're desperate for a breakthrough in your life, but you've resigned yourself because you haven't seen it happen yet. You've resigned yourself to the fact that maybe life is just going to be horrible until the day that you go to be with him in glory and then suddenly everything's fixed and he wipes away every tear maybe you just resigned yourself to the fact that life is difficult, fraught with danger and toil and snare just don't forget that he's the one who's already led you through that and he's the one who will lead you home Mm -hmm. perhaps you're in the place where you think it's beyond help hopeless if only you'd been here on time, Jesus but now it's too late the deed is done. And that, that can be a really punishing one if, if it's your mistake that you're thinking like you need a breakthrough right now because you're, you're there and you're thinking I did this. The deed is done, I can't undo it. So I know you could have done something about it, Jesus, but it's just too late now. And what well, that leads to frustration, sorrow, anger, confusion. When things go wrong, when they go from bad to worse, when our prayers seem to be unanswered and when heaven seems to be silent, how do we respond? What choices can we make? What, what should we understand about God? So, How do we respond? How, what choices can we make and how should we? we understand, what should we understand about God. So let's deal with these first common responses, and the first one is blame. That's our first response, blame. And it, it, it might be that you blame yourself, but that's our first response, blame ourselves. You know, there's a classic breakup line that's transcendent transcended history, uh, and it's, it's as commonly used today as it ever was. And I've had it said to me on several occasions, <laughs> And I'm pretty sure that I've used it on an occasion or two myself. And it's this: this is the breakup line. It's not you, it's me. Ah, a Hammer. It's not you, it's me. You know, it's commonly used as an excuse in order to get the job done, to move on, to kind of get the awkward situation out of the way. Um, but sometimes I believe that that can be a really true statement that you actually do believe it. That it's not you, it is me. And, and quite often we use it to explain God to ourselves and to others when we don't get an answer, or we don't get the answer that we want, rather. It's my own fault because I'm not doing enough. You ever thought of that? I'm too unworthy. I'm too sinful. I'm too weak. It's on me. It's my fault. You know, sometimes some things we chalk down to the fact that we don't have enough faith. If I just believed a bit more, then God would act. But because I don't have enough faith, it's my fault because I don't have enough faith. The thing is, Jesus says even if we had a tiny, tiny, tiny amount of faith, we'd have faith enough to move a mountain. But here's the thing. I have never... In the 2,000 odd years since Jesus walked physically on the earth, I've never heard of one person, however filled with faith they are, actually going up to Everest and going, move. Jesus isn't saying, go up to King's seat and see if you can shift it into the trossets. And I can't even move a grain of sand without applying physical force. There's something else that Jesus is getting at there. Because he doesn't want us all running around. There'd be no mountains left. <laughs> there will all be in the sea. there will be no sea left because it'd all just be mountain. Like, that'd be a problem. So stop blaming yourself. And, and then the other thing is that we might blame others. Oh, this is getting dirty now, isn't it? To blame others. Because it's because of my wife. It's because of my husband. They're, they're holding me back we're not spiritually synced up and so, you know, I'm, I'm okay but, but they're holding me back from the blessing that should be mine because they're not spiritual enough or because they're doing this or they're doing that or they're doing the other you know, it's, I tell you what your breakthrough not happening is not because of your spouse it's not because of your colleagues but we blame our colleagues we blame our boss we blame our church it's not cool enough it's not proactive enough whatever enough or we blame the pastor or the leadership team or the person sat next to you we blame because something's not happening and it should be happening. It's very pretty Jesus sometimes he's delayed because he's going to come when he's getting ready. And then the other thing and I think this is the worst is we blame God. If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Now, I don't think they were throwing an accusation at Jesus here, like, how dare you? They weren't saying that. These were two sisters who were grieving. They were grieving, and when we're grieving, we don't act in a rational way. But the crowd, almost taunting, this guy has opened the eyes of blind people. Surely he could have done it. It's his fault. He had the power. He didn't wield it. Blame God. Both of those statements, by the way, are true. If Jesus had been there, then then he could have stopped. Jesus has already done that in John's Gospel. He's already brought people out of sickness. He's done it. So it's true. If you were here, Lord, if you were here, and what the crowd was saying was also true. He's, he's, he's opened the eyes of the blind men. Surely he could do this? Yes, he can. Yes, he will. So they're both true. But it's only Mary and Martha that seem to also display submission in it, demonstrate understanding, demonstrate trust. The crowd is kind of accusing. Mary and Martha trust. To blame God is to misunderstand her. Mm. Now there's loads of things through history that people will say, well, if God's a loving God, why did that happen?
1: Mm.
0: You know, I have probably not got a very good answer for you. And uh, and, uh, the same question sometimes goes through my head. I mean, the Holocaust, for goodness sake. But you know what I know is that God is still good mm-hmm. that that He actually is above and around everything i 'll come to that in a minute to blame God says nothing of a tyrant God and says everything about a sinful person because we want to shift the blame now blaming ourselves or blaming others might carry some weight it might. you you may well be struggling with the effects or the consequences of somebody else's sin, or your sin. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe that's the reason that you're not getting a breakthrough. Maybe that's the reason that things have, have gone bad. But there might be some truth in that. But to be honest, identifying it's not going to benefit you at all. Ultimately, Lazarus was sick because of sin. Now, that's not... Hear me carefully here. I'm not saying Lazarus was sick because he did something specific, had this specific illness came upon him at that time. And I'm not also, I'm not saying that that can't happen, but that's not the case here. But he is sick as a direct result of the sin that entered the world through Adam and Eve and their disobedience. Because before that point, there was no death, there were no tears, there was no sickness, there was no sin, there was no disobedience. Until that point, And then all of us are tainted by that. So whatever sickness you have, even if it's the tiniest headache or the most horrific cancer, it is the result of the sin that entered the world. It is. So let's blame Adam. Wow, what an idiot. Do you think you'd have been any different? If it was you originally there, do you think you'd have been the one that was able to resist? Let me tell you, there's proof right there, if you think you were, that you wouldn't be, because that's pride. That's arrogance, and arrogance is sin. And we're all at one time, sorry, we're all at the same time, partakers of and victims of sin. So what are our choices? You know the one—the one who can't be blamed is God. The only one who can't be blamed is God. So what can we do with this? Well, how do you move forward? Well, I reckon you've got three choices, and the first is self-sufficiency. That is a choice you can make. That, uh, and I'm going to speed this up a little bit. Um, fixing it ourselves. Okay, now I have a game, it's actually Jess's game, but it's called Bop It. Has anyone heard of Bop It before? Okay, now Bop It is a game, I, I meant to bring it this morning and I forgot because I'm a sinful man. <laughs> That's actually not true, I'm not acquainting forgetfulness to sin, by the way. Um, I'm always half of this, we're really stuffed, are not we? Um, but Bop It is a game and then you kind of hold on to it, and you have to pull things and spin things and twist things to a beat. Uh, and then eventually it speeds up, and it speeds up, and it speeds up because. We, Know, some of us are generation X's and we can do that kind of stuff and some of us are baby boomers and we can't you know at some point we're going to come a her in the game okay uh, and then it, it goes you're out and one of the lines it says is this do the same but better <laughs> have you heard anyone played that game and heard that line? it kind of says it in a mocking way do the same but better well, I want to throw that thing across the room sometimes <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, we we can try harder, we can push through, we can do more. As long as we're plucky or resourceful or ambitious, surely I can build my own story better. You know, my finances are going wrong, what do I do? I'm going to go and work out a way to earn some more money. And if I can't earn it, I'm going to nick it or get it in some other way. I'm I'm going to try a pyramid scheme or I'm going to try... The Avon catalog, I don't know what it is, but I'm going to try ways of sealing letters. I don't know. I'm going to try and find ways of increasing my, my, my finances. I'm going to try and fix it myself. Or my relationships, you know, I've I, I messed up. I, I'm going to go in there like a bull in a china shop and I'm going to try and fix it. Because I'm a man and I like to fix things. And do you know the amount of relationships I've made worse by trying to fix things? It's crazy trying to fix it yourself is is called this it's called pride and pride always leads to destruction if you try self-sufficiency your foundations will fail your resources will fail your allies will fail you will fail everything will fail you can't do it yourself you need the breakthrough to come from the intervention of Jesus Christ so the second thing you can do is just give up I'm not going to bother anymore This journey is too hard So I'm just going to quit I'm going to quit I'm going to quit going to church I'm going to quit Christianity Because I'm going, to, I'm going to go to God In my own terms I'm going to believe in God In my own terms You know what that's called Believing in God With your own definition It's called idolatry there's no truth or reality at all. You, you know, you, you can't take the king of glory who shaped the heavens and the earth, fathomed the oceans, set, set science in order, breathed life into every living thing and made you in his image. You can't take him and mould him into your preferred image like he's a jar of pick and mix. You can't. And so the final thing is trust. Now Jesus had already spoken here. He'd already made a promise. This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory that God's Son may be glorified through it. But like the crowd, we also expect God to move in the same way we've seen him move previously in our lives, and we limit him. Stop expecting God To resolve things for you on your terms. Proverbs 3 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, who's telling this life. lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, what? Submit to Him. And He will make your paths straight. There's no freedom without submission. And so I'm going to wrap this up in the next few minutes. To to trust him, there are some things that you need to understand about him. Uh, First is this, that God's timing is different to ours. Jesus loved them. I ask you to remember that bit, hold it in. Jesus loved them, but he stayed where he was. Two more days. Now I can only fathom that it took two more days to get there because it was four days that Lazarus had been dead by the time Jesus was at the tomb. So he waited two days and then he traveled two days. We could easily take that as meaning that the lack of movement from heaven means a lack of love. It never does. It never does. Love provides what is needed not simply what is wanted. You know, just think about this. If God gave you everything that you ever asked for, first question, would your life be better, genuinely? Let me ask you another question. If God answered every one of your questions and gave you everything that you ever asked for, would the world be a better place? We're in a rush because we have a sense of the clock running down, like I do right now. Because every day has an evening and because all good things come to an end. I used to hate that saying when I was a kid. Because that normally meant I'd be away with some other family or something for a holiday and I knew I knew all good things come to an end, and I'd be back into the pit of fear. Sometimes it seems beyond redemption, beyond saving, beyond life, beyond hope, too late. But God is outside. Of that structure of time. He's not bound by it. He isn't hurried by it. It cannot panic him. He is not like a scientist who discovers time, and he's not like a clockmaker who harnesses time. He created time, he gave it its rules. And he's on the outside of it. For, for, for Mary and for Martha and for the crowd, they had seen Jesus work within time by healing people who had still got time on the clock. But now, they had never seen him defy time by turning the clock back, by bringing somebody back to life. They hadn't seen that before. Jesus' view goes beyond physical understanding. It's outside of time. And God's understanding is fuller than our understanding, and his view is bigger than our view. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep But I'm going to go and wake him up. The disciples got confused. But he sees the whole story at the same time. The whole story of your life. The same story that you are straining at with your reading glasses to read one line. God sees the whole picture. Before Genesis and long after Revelation, he is, I am. The Alpha, the Omega, the A, the Z. He's the first capital letter and the final full stop in your story. Mm -hmm. And you're not done until he calls you home. Your story doesn't even end there. Because it continues into eternity with him. Now, if that's true, do you believe that's true? So what's the difference between sleeping and dying? To him... They're just the same, because neither are a barrier to him. He's the one who watches over you when you sleep, hungry, and he's the one who holds you in death. He's the one who holds the keys. He is the resurrecting king, and he is resurrecting us. He is resurrecting you. The grave clothes that Jesus commanded to be removed from Lazarus were soon to be the grave clothes that would wrap Jesus, that he would wear for himself, for Lazarus, and for you and me. But the grave could not contain him. And as he rose, he discarded the clothes that bound him. He takes what binds you up and he casts it aside. He leaves it in the tomb while you are called to life again. And here's a big point. Everything is for his glory. Oh, this is hard. But sometimes in our lives, God allows things to get beyond what we're comfortable with. Sometimes he allows for things like this. You're not going to get an easier life by being a believer. But what you get is one who draws alongside you. Mm -hmm. Who is better than the truest friend that you could imagine? As Psalm 23 says, you know, yeah, he's your shepherd. Yes, he'll lead you into, into green pastures and by still waters. But it's for his name's sake. It's not about us. It's for his glory. Where you will see the full glory of his power at work is where you have exhausted all of your self-sufficiency. That's where you'll meet with Jesus. If you need a breakthrough, get beyond trying to break it through yourself. You can't have faith in God's provision if you have everything you need by your own hand. That's why Jesus says it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. You can't fully experience the the care, protection, the provision of God unless you're first in poverty in some way. Finances, resources, health, gifting, safety. What kind of rescuer rescues somebody that doesn't need rescuing? Like the value. If if I'm struggling in the sea, the value of my rescue is is in how much in peril I am. How close to the line I was. That's what. Embraces my gratitude and makes me kind of like baffled at the person that would come out and rescue me. If I'm just having a swim in the shallow end of the pool and I'm fine and a lifeguard comes along and like (laughs) like swims me along. You know, I'm not going to be too grateful for that. Do you you feel like it's too late? Do you feel like the ship has sailed? It's hopeless, it'll never change. There's, There's no light left or no life left in that situation, that thing. The resurrection of Lazarus is and will be the resurrection of all of us. And all who we have loved in the past. All who have put their hope in Christ. The delay is going to be more than a few days in that respect. But the same power is at work in your life. Mm. You, you don't have to wait you might feel like that situation is dead It's, it's just done it's hopeless but do you not know God works in the utterly hopeless and today might be the day that God shows up and completely transforms your life what is it where is that breakthrough that you need if you don't feel that you need a breakthrough in your life then there are plenty of breakthroughs we need in this town. So I would imagine that there's not one of us that has nothing to plead with God for at this point. But understand this is like, if God doesn't do it, don't blame him. Don't blame yourself either. You know, the only way I think we can blame ourselves is if we're completely inactive. If we completely just are apathetic and don't bother even to try. But if if we get before the Lord, And we say, God, we need you to move. And we keep doing that. We don't tire of it. And every morning we say, God, your mercy is new this morning. So so let your power be at work in that mercy this morning, fresh today. I'm not talking about you just going down to a a nice tree of God's blessing and blocking the fruits that you fancy. I'm talking about you being connected in like the vine and the branch to the presence of God in your life. And if that's hard, trust, mm. trust, however it looks, Mary, mother, there they are. If you had been here, Lord, yeah. but they, they trusted him, mm-hmm. whether that resurrection was going to come at that moment, or on the day of resurrection, mm-hmm. they trusted Jesus. Yeah. Can you trust him? That's your first and most important step. Now I believe that God wants to break through today in people's lives. And I think that, you know, a lot of what Ian was speaking about last week was a real fire starter for breakthrough. If you haven't heard that, it's online. Go back and listen to it. God is interested in, And invested in your life. Mm -hmm. Will you trust Him? Mm -hmm. We're going to play a song, but it's for you to pause, be quiet. Just allow God to do something in your heart. We need a breakthrough.